Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friend, Corey, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car's been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. From the glamour capitals of Europe comes the exciting drama of the men and the women who live the passionate adventure of Grand Prix racing. James Garner, Eva Marie Saint, Eve Montan, Brian Bedford and Jessica Walter, dramatic new stars Antonio Sabato and Francoise Hardy, Toshiro Mifune, and the world's champion Formula One drivers. Now, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, Director John Frankenheimer and Cinerama take you out of the grandstand and hurl you into the most exciting experience of your life. Cars, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers in Google Tan Talk 1340.com, and you can see me live in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website. Yes, our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you've missed any of our 450-some-odd shows, I keep losing count every week. Man, it's a sign of old age. Uh, don't forget to check out our archive page, NostalgicRadioandCars.com. We are not a podcast. We are podcasted. Is that the right way to say that? Tommy, how are you doing tonight? Yeah, that, that COVID-2021 uh, uh, glass seems to be working okay because you're doing okay. You're still healthy and everything. Yep, 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 yep. My, my end, too. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, Rib Shack Barbecue. I, hey... It's a, yeah, hey, it's a, I know, I, I'm dealing with the same thing. Yeah, very good. So, uh, Tommy had his first taste of Rip Shack Barbecue, shame on me, um, and uh, he was uh, totally thrilled. And th- it, it's shame on man, we have to do that more often. Anyways, so where am I going with this? I am going, uh, well, yeah, if you want some great ribs, just be sure and go down to 426. That's an easy number to remember. West Bay Drive, downtown Largo, for some of the best ribs in town. Anyway, all right, so hi, everybody. How's it going? Uh, this past weekend was Leadfoot City's big deal. 
I didn't go because I was busy doing some other stuff. I got all these projects I got to do during on the weekend. During the week, I got busy. I got business to worry about. And on the weekends, I'm trying to catch up on my own stuff. But, 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 if you want to find out where all the car shows are, don't forget to check out flacarshows.com. Now, the big event that I'm kind of working my way up to, trying to get my little head and my uh, see-through face mask, face diaper, um, around is Amelia Islands coming up, and I cannot pass Amelia Island. Now, a lot of the other events, uh, Sumter County, um, Zephyr Hills, uh, what's that one, Turkey, uh, Daytona, uh, Carlisle, a lot of those events I didn't go to because I've got other stuff to do. But I will tell you this. You know, I've been going to so many events for so many years, year after year after year after year after year after year, that after a while, this could actually happen. This can actually happen. I saw this a couple years ago when I was going through one of the auctions. I won't mention any names, but Bobby was there with me, and we were just kind of breezing through, breezing through, which is very unusual for me because my nature is to stop and gawk, look at a car, and sometimes start yakking with somebody. But at any rate, I just kind of breezed on through. And then I made a comment to Bobby because he said, he asked me, he says, hey, Dad, you kind of like blowing through this thing pretty quick. And I go, yeah. It's kind of like, yeah, if you've seen one Chevelle, one Camaro, one Mustang, one Torino, one Goat, you know, Corvette. I mean, you've seen them all. And it's sad to say that because the thing that I like about cars is I like when people do their own little thing to them. I just kind of touch them up a little bit. But I really get um, frustrated when people say, my car is restored, and it's not. Now, I praise cars professionally for a living, obviously. And where I'm going with this is I just did a car, and I won't mention the name, but this was a – I mean, I did this Pro Touring Camaro a couple of weeks ago. Okay, 3792 three hundred and ninety cents. Three hundred. And three thousand seven hundred ninety-two and ninety cents. Now, a lot of times these projects don't start out like that. Okay, they start out well, you know, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty, ninety, one hundred, ten, twenty, and, and so on. Well, all right. So I just recently did this one. It was a nineteen eighty-nine Jeep Grand Wagoneer. I got a spreadsheet on this thing. 59,000 in parts. I mean, where I'm going with this, guys, is make me personally, my stuff, when I drive my stuff around, people go, man, that's a parts car. I know, but it's a running, driving parts car. If I had to, I could part it out. I mean, back in the day, I used to buy them you know, based on parts prices. But I don't have a ton of money, and I don't cry over it, okay? Because I went and looked at a 911 the other day, Porsche, because I buy Porsches once in a while. I buy cars and sell them. That's what I do, okay? Buy one, sell one, buy one, sell one, so on. So I went and looked at the 911 the other day. I was told it was restored twice. Well, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm just going to listen. And uh, paint was bad, rust bubbling out, but the car overall was solid. Undercarriage was good. The top was good, but it had rust in some bad spots. Somebody hung a quarter on it at one point in time, just did a crappy job, and in the process, they ruined everything else. Hood blew up on it. Had some. The corners were bent. And, but there's a lies tale in the stories. So I made an offer on the car. But what I did before I made an offer, I did a little homework, which I always do my homework. Just to take this car, okay, which was a straight, clean, solid car for the most part, with exceptions of rust and the rockers and a couple other places. You, and it was really due to bad paint work, paint prep work, okay? Paint prep work, all right? To take that car, a simple car like a 911, which is an easy little, stinky little car, stinky little German car, right? And... But by the time you pop all the, the rubbers off, it pop the chrome off, it pop the door handles off, so so it's a decent paint job. We're not talking Earl Scheib, you know, $29.99. And do we have an Earl Scheib commercial somewhere? I we need to. I thought we had that. Tommy, just see if I have. I think I saved that once before. I mean, first they were $29.99, then with the $99.99, and so on. You know, basically Mako and Econo Bake and all that kind of Facto Bake, whatever. And uh, as if you're a dealer and you're a buy here, lay here, or pay here, whatever, you know, I mean, you, 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 your job is to slick cars and pound people in cars and sell them junk, and that's what they do. I don't do that. What you see is what you get. I tidied up, and it's still a turd, 
it's a polished turd, basically, but it's not one that's shiny, 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 and, and with a lies tail and stories attached to it. It's, it's pretty much there so you can see it. I have a 65 Mustang convertible that I'm selling right now, which is my personal car. 289 four-barrel four-speed car. It's a turd. Looks like a turd. Wasn't a turd when I got it because it was a California car, but over the years, unfortunately, it got, a, got, a, got away from me. But it's not, you can't restore that car because you can't restore that car because it has no money. If you put 50, 60, 70, 80 grand in the car, it's still only a $25,000, $30,000 car. I mean, a convertible Mustang, four speed, 289 car, about 35 grand. That's the money, 3540 for a real, real nice one. But you can fix these cars up nice and make them decent, put a decent paint job on them. But going back to the 911, so just to fix the minor body work that the car requires, straighten out the deck lid, strip it and paint it, was 12 grand, 10 to 12 grand. So if you're starting at 30, you back that out of it. So now you're at 18. Then you get some mechanicals because the cars was sitting. So now you're at 15. The car on its best day is a 30 to $32,000 car. They're popular, 911 coupes, okay? Had that hideous spoiler on it, which they shouldn't. They put a turbo spoiler on it. Just put a normal 911 spoiler on the back. Leave the turbo to the turbos. And it just it's cumbersome looking on the car. Don't put any on at all. Put a ducktail on it like a Carrera as an example. But where I'm going with this is they just the car was so so. So I put a bin in it. The guy tried working me. All right, was there a little money in the car? Yeah, there was a little money in the car. Of course there was. But you don't know what you're getting into on a car. So make sure you've got a pretty decent budget because it's going to cost you. You know, it's just like my Mustang. My Mustang's a ten twelve thousand dollar car. The way it sits. It's probably going to take you 15 or so to get it there. So you'll probably have 30 in it or more, but it'll be worth the 30, 35,000 when you're done because you didn't over, go overboard. You fixed what had to be fixed. You put a decent paint job on it, and you did the minor mechanicals, left the motor in it, left the training in it, and it's within reason. But when you do what these guys do with the Pro Touring and with this guy with this Jeep who's going to have $100,000 in a Grand Wagoneer. Now, I'll grant you a low mileage Grand Wagoneer, because they're extremely popular. They have actually become a cult vehicle, okay? Um, very collectible, okay? You know, you used to see them up on Ocala all the time, the horse farms up north. They're real popular. and uh, But they're kind of a trendy car now to buy as far as classics. I mean, you can throw the whole family in there. They get plush. They got beautiful leather. The air works. They got a good V8 in them. You know, they ride excellent, okay? And um, But I've seen those. I was standing at Goodies one time, and I think one hammered it. 50, 60, but I was floored along with about a dozen other guys that I know, but that's the market on that particular vehicle. So even though this guy's going to have over $100,000 in this Jeep, it's a really, 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 really nice car. I mean, absolutely over the top. Chrome this, polished this, billet this. I mean, state-of-the-art, rebuilt motor, rebuilt transmission, just a gorgeous, gorgeous car. But you guys have got to understand, when you put tons of money in these cars, you're not getting it out. It's a labor of love, and that's it. By contrast, you go to an auction, and let's just say Kissimmee, because Meekums is here and they're big. There's a bunch of stuff over there. There's stuff that people paid $50,000, $80,000 to have done that you can buy for half. That's the value. Now, granted, some of it's cobbled up, some of it's finished, some of it's, they went overboard, and they go, oh, crap, I got 50 grand in this thing, and I'm going to put another 20 to make a nice car out of it. Just do what you got to do, finish it, and just let's just run through the auction and get rid of it. Case in point, guy bought a 65 Mustang convertible, all GT'd out, six-cylinder car, T in the serial number, right? Six-cylinder car, threw a V8 in it, four-speed. The guy pays 45, hammered it 45, plus the juice. Okay, that's another 10%. So he's in the car 50K, right? Drags it over here to a shop over in Largo. They start working on it. I happen to see it. They talk to me because they're in the Mustangs. I'm in the Mustangs. The guy was... Electrical issues, braking issues, balancing issues, driving straight issues, all kinds of issues. The guy was another fifteen thousand bucks away from having a nice car. Sixty-five grand in that car. That's the risk. Okay, so where I'm going with it, boy, I almost sound like Rush Limbaugh, don't I? Or Mark Levine. Um, I hey, I'm just like you know, I feel for you guys, and I love these cars, but I like you know, I'm 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 perfectly content with beaters. Now, my good buddy, Kenny, don't forget to go check out the car shows on Saturday night down there at 110th and 19th. Kenny. Kenny's got a nice C28. Now, Kenny always buys nice cars. He gets a good deal. There are some nice cars out there. you got to look. I just heard from a friend of mine. I was talking to uh, one of the other guys, Mike over there at Hollywood Wheels, good buddy of mine. Shout out to Mikey. Hi, Mikey, Kelly, and everybody, and, and uh, Flo. And he was down at the uh, Muscle Car City auction. And Kenny was talking about that a couple weeks ago or a month or so ago when he was on my show for a few minutes. They paid all the money down there. There were some beautiful cars. Do not get caught up in the euphoria. 
you can't if you spend fifty thousand dollars more for a car than it was is they than what it's worth and you 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 have an extra fifty grand laying around you must not need and signs were going for signs that you can buy online for a hundred bucks you know nostalgic reproduction signs they were paying double and Wow. Okay, you get caught up in it. I see that because I see it all the time when I go to the auctions. Now, if you say, I have to have it. I don't care what it costs. I want that car. I want that color. I want that option. Get your checkbook out because it's going to happen. That's just the way it is. And uh, and it's an emotional thing. But a car is not only is emotional, but it's an extension of your personality. So keep that in mind as well. So that's when you buy a car and you put the little wheels on it that you like and you put a little trim here that you like and little extras and stuff like that. That's kind of fun. Anyway, on that note, I think we're going to go to a commercial break. Tommy's going to fire up the uh, transistor radio and play us a nostalgic tune. You tune into Nostalgic Getting Cars, Don't Touch That Dial. We'll be right back. we got a very special guest with us again. We're doing part four. Hey, we'll see you in a few. When you're unwanted, streets are uneven When you're down, when you're strained Faces come out of the rain When you're strange No one remembers your name When you're strange When you're strange When you're strange People are strange when you're a stranger, faces look ugly When you're alone, women seem wicked When you're unwanted, streets are uneven When you're down For car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. Come enjoy the best brews in Tampa Bay at Dunedin Brewery. Known as Florida's oldest microbrewery, they are always working to create a unique variety of craft beers for every taste. In addition, Dunedin Brewery features a full menu, including everything from their famous wings, burgers, salads, flatbreads, and more. Don't forget about their live music, including the Wednesday Night Players Jam. That's Dunedin Brewery, 937 Douglas Avenue in downtown Dunedin. Visit them online at dunedinbrewery.com. We are back, and you're tuning into Nostalgia Brand Cars. Um, yeah, I like cars. I really do like cars. <laughs> I am slowly working on digging out some of my crapola that I've had for years, Ola, and I'm going to dig some out. Alan, if you're tuned in, you need to dig out your crapola, too, and get your junk on the road. We all need to do that, because we're all getting up in age, and... You know, I don't know. Uh, my thoughts on electric cars. I just saw something on fake book here a little while ago about some guy that shows um, he's sitting in a retro 65 or 67, 68 Mustang Fastback, and he's got the tires smoking and uh, says it's powered by an EV. Well, uh, the jury's still out on that, but it's kind of cool. It's an alternative when it gets to that point. So where I'm going with that is the more I will research that, and I'm going to have an EV guy come on here, and we are going to lambast the living daylights out of him because we're gasoline junkies. You know, we're like fuel. We like explosive stuff, you know. Anyway, um, and there's nothing about an electric car that's exciting. Absolutely nothing other than the fact that it goes whoosh. That's it. Remember the first time I drove a Tesla, it went whoosh. Fastest golf cart I've ever been on. And, um, and then I drove the 6S out in Monterey one time, threw everybody in the back seat. They were pegged. Probably could have done that $100 deal, 
$100 build deal on Dash because I was a little impressed with the acceleration. Braking was actually kind of cool, too. Handling actually wasn't bad, too. But the car looks like a, a video game on four wheels. Not me. But when I was at SEMA last year, and I'm going to have Kevin on the show again, and uh, one of the guys rolled up with a Chevy truck, and in a Chevy truck, they had an electric motor that bolted up basically to uh, like a GM bell housing. And I thought that was interesting. Ford, Ford, Ford has a better idea. And uh, Ford actually came out with a six-speed manual transmission that will hook up to an electric car. That's kind of cool. Okay, so where I'm going with this is we don't have to be scared, you know, and think that, oh, no, we're going to have to sell our cars. We might have to go and lower our standards and pull our mighty V8s out and drop a little, you know, a little zip motor in there or something like that. But other than that, the cars will be fine. Okay, so just find the car that you want. Make it the way you want while it's still feasible and you can still get a ton and ton of parts. Because here's the interesting thing. If you kind of look where the manufacturers are going and all this hype on the on electric cars, and I don't buy into it one bit. I wrote a little op the other day and I posted it on LinkedIn because I'm doing the research and I'm doing a uh, an appraisal on a 1905, 1904 Thomas Flyer recreation. And in the process, and I was just a big shout out to the guys out there at the Horseless Carriage Foundation out in San Diego, California, because they've been helpful in getting me some information on this. And it's, what I do when you do appraisals is it kind of turns into like a forensic thing, you know, where you actually start researching this stuff and digging into this stuff and trying to find out. And one thing leads to another. Now, think about this. At the turn of the century, you had steam, you had diesel, you had gasoline, you had electric. Nobody forced anybody to have one or the other. It's the market dictated what you wanted. Did you? And, and unfortunately, everything failed except the internal engine, which we have 100 years later. Now, because of the eco-freakos, everybody's all excited about the electric motors. They still haven't figured the battery situation out. I don't care what they say. They haven't figured that out yet. The range, two, 300 miles, that's fine. Provided you can get someplace where you can charge the thing up for an hour or two while you're sitting there. So there's all kinds of issues with, with, with EV yet, okay? Hydrogen's out there. Hydro- all this stuff, which is interesting, is when I was doing my report, you would be amazed at the technology and the stuff that was out about back at the turn of the century. When they said the Industrial Revolution at the turn of the century, they were not joking. There was some really cool stuff being developed. But because of marketing, cost to build, cost to produce, politics as usual— we were in, we ended up with a gasoline engine and diesel. I'm fine with that. That's okay with me. You know, and they can make them efficient. They have the technology. They had technology back then to do it. They had to because they were limited on what they can do. So the wise minds kind of got together and said, "Hey, we can do this." And you know, look at racing. Racing is because guys says, "I'm not settling for a production car that goes putt putt putt. I want something that goes boom." Right, Tommy? Okay, on that note, I think you better shut me up. And let's go ahead and get ready to get our guest on the line here, because this gentleman is also kind of a uh, nostalgic kind of guy that digs this old stuff, and he's got some stories to tell us, too. So uh, don't touch that dial. You are listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, where you will find the most fascinating and legendary people in motorsports and music. Don't touch the dial. We'll be right back. See you guys. Shut 
wouldn't he like to be driving that baby? Some thrill. But you know, before that pilot could fly from coast to coast in three hours plus, somebody had to invest about a million hours getting him ready for it. There's a lot of designing, testing, and trial runs behind every new innovation or new performance record. How do I know? My name's Carol Shelby, and performance is my business. racing driver and speed commentator and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars and I'm delighted to welcome back a uh, Nostalgic Radio Cars alumni and a Ford engineer in the motor department. I'm delighted to welcome back Mose Nolan. Mose, how you doing, buddy? Yeah, Robert, we're doing fine tonight and uh it's nice to, to join you this evening. Well, I appreciate it. Now, we talked a little bit about motors and stuff like that, but one of the things that you do besides, um, you know, all that cool stuff you did back in the 60s and 70s and 80s and stuff, let's talk a little bit about uh, the Henry Ford, the museum. Tell us a little bit about uh, the museum. Give us some stories. Tell us about some of the really cool, interesting, and I think there's a, displ- a display going on right now. Is it a racing display or something that's going on up there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we're about to uh, open it to the public, and it'll be open in uh, February, the, I'm sorry, March 26th. Okay. So uh, it's, a, it's a brand new permanent exhibition, and uh, I had the opportunity to have a tour of it here uh, yesterday, and it's, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> Well, tell us what it is. You got me in suspense. I know what it is, but tell our listeners. Well, it's a uh, col- collection of famous race cars all the way back to Henry Ford's uh, sweepstakes in 1903 and 1906, mm-hmm. which uh, he, he won his first race with his uh, race car and won $1,000, which he put towards starting the Ford Motor Company. Now... What people don't realize is Henry Ford actually started building, and you can probably shed more light on this, but, I mean, he actually started building cars back in uh, the late 1800s and tried and failed and tried and failed. And like you said, the one that he built that won, and I get, I'm trying to think of the other guy that he won against, but he just kept right on going. And that was, you know, when you got guys like J.P. Morgan standing around there and Thomas Edison and Henry Firestone and people like that, you know, they all just said, hey, this is uh, the deal. And um, so, and the rest is obviously history. But Henry Ford, what do you what do you know about it? What did, what in, in, in looking back, and you're a Ford guy, what inspired you? You know, what's inspiring to you uh, about Henry Ford? What do you find is really unique? Well, um, you know, he he was he was just a a, a deep dive farm boy that had a lot of interest for uh, equipment, and he was a uh, excited and drawn to the steam engine and uh, he learned to understand how it operated and, and it went on to be an operator for a steam engine and uh, this, he just kept going into the mechanical world this deeper and deeper all the time his, uh, his first car was uh, a famous quadricycle which was nothing more than a, just a buggy and uh, he, he built that in 1896, and we have a, a running replica of that at the museum. In fact, when I first went to the museum, uh, I was in charge of improving the durability on it because at that time it would only run, it would only run for about 10 minutes and quit. So I finally got the word run a whole weekend. So when and. The challenge, the challenge in that kind of work is the fact that it's in the museum business in Greenfield Village, we claim everything is period correct. So uh, I had to decide on how to make this thing uh, durable and not change anything visible. So uh, that's that's what the challenge was, and, and I dearly loved it. And I was 
happy to be able to get that thing turned around to where you could take it for a weekend and and demonstrate it in the old car festival. So, what were some of the changes? What were some of the challenges that you had that you were faced with that you had to overcome to make it work like that? Well, uh, it's got a real unique ignition system. Um, there, there's a post on the end of a, on a piston. It's a two-cylinder. Mm-hmm. It's a two-cylinder horizontal and uh, a three-and-a-half-inch bore and a six-inch stroke. So uh, it, uh, it had this unique ignition system where it, it would make and break a set of contacts that were right inside the combustion chamber and uh, the environment for uh, something to uh, conduct electricity uh, consistently inside of a uh, combustion chamber where you're you know you're reaching temperatures of 1200 degrees and uh, it was it was a matter of choice of materials and the shape of the material that uh, I finally fooled with I it took me quite a while. It was a trial and error thing, you know. Uh, but uh, we finally got the combination of ceramics and some space-age material that uh, the, the public didn't see that. That was all buried deep inside the cylinder. So, But uh, we were fortunate to do that, and a lot of lessons learned, and, and, and uh, it, it moved me forward uh, quite a bit personally and materials and techniques okay now here's here let me uh digress just for a second i was just talking earlier on the radio show that i was i'm doing an appraisal on a uh, and it turned into a little bit more of an appraisal because now it's kind of become a, a challenge for me as well on this recreation of a 1904 1905 thomas flyer now as the story goes back in the day the the big man automobile manufacturing area was not Detroit at the turn of the century. It was actually New York and, and along that area in, in New England. But because of the resources that were available, ultimately Detroit, you know, um, became the Motor City. But a lot of people from up north used to come down to Ormond Beach at the turn of the century and bring their cars down here and test them on the beach because it was a flat surface and they could test speeds and they could test components. And uh, and hence today we have Daytona, obviously the um, the racetrack that that eventually all evolved from that, and then land speed stuff kind of moved out west to uh, Bonneville and of course the dry lakes and stuff, most of them notably obviously Bonneville. But anyway, so these cars would come down here, these manufacturers, and there was tons of them. But when I was reading some of the reports and I was just shedding some light here, I, I met a gentleman that's with the. Uh, uh, Horseless Carriage Foundation in in uh, San Diego, and I was getting some information from them on Thomas Flyers, and he has some of the information that I have, but he has a little bit more than I have, so that worked out real good. But so back at the turn of the century, you had steam, you had electric, you had uh, hydrogen that we were playing around with. They were had uh, obviously gasoline, and obviously you had diesel. So there was all kinds of stuff that coexisted back in the day, and obviously due to marketing and politics as usual, we the only thing that survived was obviously. Um, gasoline and diesel. And so when you were doing this car, and you just mentioned that it was opposing engine, so basically it's a flat two, right? So basically like a little Volkswagen engine only with two cylinders? Is that... Did that's, I, that's, okay. That's true, Robert. It was a flat two. Okay, so here we are. We're talking basically a boxer motor that was developed in 1896, but yet people think that, well, it wasn't until 36, you know, when they came out with the Volkswagen, that that's when they first had a flat cylinder, which is not true. So... It's, it's like ceramic engines, five-valve cylinders, multi-valves, multi-cams, all this stuff. This was all developed back in the day, but because of cost and production, it never really – it didn't survive. And today, because we can build things cheaper and we have you know computers and we have uh, um, 3D and all this other stuff, we can actually facilitate – we can take the old stuff and make it better, but we get an understanding. So that coincides with what you just said. So – Having done that and figuring out how to make it work with today's technology, that basically should kind of take the internal combustion engine, for example, and we should be able to make it more efficient. True or false? That is true. Okay. Yeah, that is true. And uh, and we use our, our racing program just for that uh, advantage. Uh, that's... Uh, 
we have uh, we have confirmed and proofed a lot of materials uh, that's in the production car today that was first tried on on the race cars and the racetrack. So I mean, if you can uh, subject it to that brutal treatment and uh, and make progress with it, well, that's what'll let you move forward in your automobiles that's produced for the customer it makes them more reliable and cuts down on a warranty. <laughs> All right, let's go back to in our previous discussion. We talked about the 427 camera motor. And I believe, if I recall, you said that was a motor that came from start to finish in 90 days, right? That is true. Okay, uh, so... The, and the then very you, first one. Okay, so then if that if you were able to do that, and really it was the top end of the motor, and then figuring out the rest of the stuff that had to go with it to make it all work together, and then you said basically Ford at the time, as an example, that's a corporate decision, said that it, it was too expensive. And had that development, as an example, gone further, do you think that that motor could have been refined and ultimately found its way into a production motor? Oh, oh certainly, Uh uh, it would have taken quite a bit, though, because uh, the first thing against the engine, as we finished with it, it, it was huge, and it, it w- weighed 565, so. It was heavy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit too much trying to get 28 miles per gallon. <laughs> that brings up another question. We hear these rumors that supposedly, back in the 50s, they had carburetors, or they built these little, they come up with some sort of ingenious little device, and or carburetor, or a combination of, of ignition and fuel, where they were able to get 50, 60, 70 miles to a gallon. But the, 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 the street story is, oh no, the manufacturers and the oil companies are all in cahoots together, and they certainly don't want that to happen. Is there any truth to that? And can you say that if there is or isn't without getting in any trouble? Well, in, in 57 years in the automotive <laughs> business, 35 years of it in racing, I never saw such carburetors that. And and I'll tell you what, I, I saw everything possible pass up in front of my eyes in that length of time. So would it be fair to say that back in the day, and let's just use a little 289, which was a good little motor, okay? And you were involved in the original development of the 289, correct? Yes, I was, uh, when I joined Ford Motor Company, that uh, thing was just coming off the drawing board, and it, it started out as, as a 221 cubic inch and, and gained the nickname of small block engine. Okay, and then... It evolved 221, then it became a 260, and then 289, then ultimately a 302, and then somewhere along the line we wound up with a 351 Windsor. So take us through the evolution of that, the, from 221 to 289, and, 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 and how you were involved, and could have it been a better motor? I'm sorry, what was the question? So the question was, take us from, from, from the development from the beginning of the 221 to the 289 and how that evolved, and then could have it been a better motor? Because one of the biggest problems with Fords, and we all jokingly, thus Mustang guys, Shelby guys say, well, Ford's problem was back in the day, is was the, it wasn't this bottom end because they were pretty good. It was the head design, and it was terrible, but they, but they designed it that way because the ports and the manifolds all had to kind of fit in this goofy little shock tower system that they had created in the Falcon, and ultimately in the Mustang and the Fairlanes and the Torinos and stuff. So take us through the process there a little bit between from 221 to 289. Well, uh, going, starting with the 221 and moving up to the bigger displacement, uh, just put a little a bigger strain on all the components, especially gaskets and head bolts and main bearing caps, main bearing bolts and like like that. So it forced you to to refine what you had if you were going to build a uh, uh, dependable engine. So if you go through all of the iterations of the cubic inch advancement of that engine, we had about five different major events where we were improving the Ford V8. And uh, it didn't come all at once, and there was a lot of mistakes. So one of one of the things that I really appreciated in in my job was that 
we made mistakes. We made terrible mistakes. But, you know, management had a pretty good attitude. You know, they had this saying, they had this saying is, forget the mistake, remember the lesson. And that's, and that's how we crawled hands and knees <laughs> to, to the engines that we got today. Okay. Well, the but the 289. So when when what did you guys have computers back then that you could kind of do uh, analysis with, or did was everything basically let's build it, let's modify it, let's test it on a track, and then let's improve it, and then let's see what happens. Let's blow it up and then go back to the drawing board. That was just about it. Now today <laughs> we have uh, all the uh, high tech computers and simulators where you can. Uh, do it virtually and, and not not hurt anybody or not break any material. <laughs> okay. All right, so let's, let me throw this question out at you. The 289, which by the time it got to be a 289, was a fairly well-perfected perfected motor. How did it go from the 289 to the 302? How did they come up with that displacement? Well, uh, first of all, it, t- it takes place with uh, bore diameters. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that took us into another uh, uh, training period. That's when we started looking for thinner bore walls, and we had to develop a thin wall casting techniques. So that that was another advancement that took place with with those challenges. Uh, then we had uh, stroke uh, 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 increases. And we had uh, uh, connecting rod development to start taking the strain of, of the combination of bore and, and stroke. And uh, then the connecting rod wasn't worth a darn unless it had a good bolt in it. And we had to have an improved bolt and cap. So it was, uh, it was stuff like that. And, and then along with the displacement increase, now you got to feed the engine with fuel. So we start increasing valve diameters and, and camshaft uh, phases. Okay. Here's another question. Um, I was up in Detroit uh, probably in the 90s, and then again in the 2000s, and then on and off between then and 2013-14. And I, and I talked to a couple of guys that both were Ford guys and Chevrolet guys, and I remember one of the Ford guys, and I can't mention his name because he, he wants to remain anonymous, but he took me and a friend of mine to a restaurant, and he says, see this restaurant here? It's somewhere off of uh, Woodward. He says, this is where all the all the all the car guys go. The engineers from Ford, the engineers from Chrysler, the engineers from Chevrolet. We all sit down at lunch. We all, you know, we're buddies because some of us live in the same neighborhoods, and we compare notes. So where I'm going with this is that you know Ford has a 289, Chevrolet has a 283, Ford comes out with a 302, Chrysler has a, a basically a 302, uh, Chrysler has her 340 and their 273 and what I mean. Did it, and is there like you know is is it monkey see monkey do is it we kind of get together and we kind of share stuff and we talk about stuff I mean was there any of that kind of camaraderie at your level with the engineers that were truly the car guys and not basically the brass hat guys? Yeah, well, I, I can't confirm any any meetings uh, of such where they sat down and discussed design and capabilities, but I, I can tell you this that. Out on Woodward Avenue towards Pontiac was a restaurant called Ted's. It was a drive-in. And generally on a Friday night, uh, the the engineers would uh, probably violate company policy, but they would would bring cars home. And uh, and, uh, there were several occasions where uh, these guys would start bragging about their horses, and and, uh, they'd get out on Woodward Avenue and and duke it out. and I imagine there's a, a few times when uh, your competition got to look under your hood and stuff like that. But uh, <laughs> but that uh, and and then the other thing is is you, you all have you all have some some same uh, suppliers. Okay. And I wouldn't be a bit surprised that some of the leaks. Uh, you know, come through suppliers. I don't want to say that that's what happened, but. I know if 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 you, 
if you were one of my customers and you had a deer problem, I'm sure you might say, well, you know, why don't you try this and see if it might help? And it sounds like a personal contribution, but what he's doing is he's telling you about what the other guy was doing and it worked. So he, he, he made you a solid customer by helping him. <laughs> no, that makes a heck of a lot of sense. Absolutely. By the way, back when you were a young whippersnapper there on Woodward Avenue, did you uh, have something that was uh, laying rubber down there? No, when all that was going on, I was working for Uncle Sam. And <laughs> oh no! And, and and I had a, I had a jeep that would run thirty eight miles an hour wide open. Oh, okay. So, but in the uh, all right. Well, how about when you were working for Ford? Didn't you have yourself like a little hopped up little Mustang or Falcon or Fairlane or something like that? No, I just wanted. You know, I was around so much noise and horsepower and dynamometers and hot oil and broken parts <laughs> that my, my family car was just a plain old fair lane and all I wanted was a good radio in it <laughs> and that's it alright now let me ask you this question go ahead <laughs> yeah I could get my excitement at work on somebody else's money Okay, there you go. All right, let me ask you this question. Let's take the 289, and and I like the 289. I think it's a good little motor. Okay, and and my, my favorite. Tell it's your favorite. <laughs> well, actually, Boss 302s and Boss 429s are my two favorites. And and I was going to have you talk a bit about the Boss 302. Were you involved in the Boss 302 development? Yes, I was. Okay, so how did you guys come up with the wise idea to put that Cleveland head on there? Well, it was just one of those things where you start looking at the gasket and the bolt patterns and stuff like that. That's <laughs> and and somebody says, "Well, let's give it a try." Okay, let me back up a bit. The '66, '65 GT uh, 289 motor that was used in the four GTs, they had a special cylinder head. Okay, that was not conventional 289 style or anything like that, and apparently it had bigger valves. And bigger runners, and I I actually used to know the serial the 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 engineering number, but I can't think of it right now. But it's a C6 casting, but that apparently was the forerunner to the 351 Windsor head. True or false? That's what we're true. led to believe on the street. And that's true. When we went to the 351, we had already learned about the performance of that uh, previous head, and and it was a good thing to start with. Okay, so then you had the development from that head, and then you had the 351 Windsor head that already, and, and how come they chose the Boss 302, which was the Cleveland-style head, um, as, which wasn't even out yet until 70, so you had that, bought, that Cleveland head on a, two, on, a, on a 302 in 69? Well, I don't recall it being used that early. But uh, I know eventually it happened, but I, 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 I can't say for sure, Bob, if, if, if that's what happened. Okay. <laughs> All right, let me ask you this question then. Let's just take the 289, which is a good little motor because I like 65, 66 Mustangs. Would it be fair to say that with today's technology versus 65 technology, that you could get decent gas mileage if you tweaked that 289 back in the day Compared to what a comparable, let's say, 4.6 liter or four or five liter v, uh, V8 would do today, with all the electronics, all the pollution, and all the crap, could you get that 289 to run as efficient in terms of performance, mileage, and emissions? You absolutely could. What you do is you throw the carburetor away and put injectors on it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the, the, the carburetor is the most graceful <laughs> part of gasoline that you can get. Is it really? <laughs> well, most of the time you're getting too much fuel, and, and other times you're not getting enough. But when it comes to injectors, uh, that's all programmed, volume and timing. Okay, so basically, had you had a efficient injection system back in the day, it, the, a 289 with injectors and a decent ignition system could could have been just as efficient without all the pollution crap on it that we have on these motors today. I mean, you look at a hood under a new car and a five liter Mustang, and I'm going, I just close it, take it to the dealership, and let them service it because I can't do anything with it. <laughs> well. Let's just say that you could improve the heck out of it. 
and uh, it would be a much simpler uh, uh, engine to uh, service and a much simpler, more dependable engine to drive. Okay. And it would be easy on your pocketbook for gas prices. Okay. Compression. What is the, and, and this is where I'm going with this, okay, as opposed to 8 to 1, 9 to 1, 10 to 1, 11, 12, 13 to 1, and stuff. Would you say compression is probably very, very important in terms of overall performance and efficiency in a motor, provided you have the fuel? That is true also. That mm. is true. I mean, uh, I, I've, I've seen 427s run uh, with carburetors at, at 15 to 1 compression ratio, and... Uh, they get pretty efficient. I mean, you, you take a NASCAR 427, uh, you'd lucky to get four and a half miles per gallon, but uh, you uh, up the compression rate, so you can pick up another mile, mile and a half. So, Okay. Well, these are all these discussions, you know, like us bench racers, you know, when we're sitting out at car shows and stuff like that, because everybody's a wizard, you know, everybody knows everything. But here, I'm getting it firsthand from you, not to mention we're live on radio, so it's documented now. <laughs> and uh, seriously, Bo, I got to tell you, I truly enjoy having you on the show. Um, and and I, I know I'm partial because I'm a Ford guy. And you're, it's right up my alley because everything we talk about, I mean, I've, you know, I've street raced and blown up and tore apart and built and screwed around with Ford Motors all my, my, my adult life. And, uh, you know, I'm just, I, I just bleed blue. So it's really a treat having you on here and, and to be able to ask these questions because talking to you about this stuff is just, for me, is so second nature, you know. So I really yeah. I appreciate you coming. And I'm going to have you back on again. I'm going to have you, you're going to be just one of those regular kind of guys that comes on and we're just going to talk about this and that because I have a whole bunch more questions. Unfortunately, we're up against the clock, but I do want to talk a little bit about next time you come on, we'll talk a little bit about the museum. You said, when does this display go on public for everybody to see now, the race car display? Yes. When does that come on? When is that? When can people start visiting that, uh, the Ford Museum? Uh, and in um, March twenty sixth. March twenty sixth. Okay, super. Well, Mo, I want to thank you again for coming on the show here. It was a, truly a pleasure, and uh, I look forward to having you on again. In the meantime, you take care. One of the things I was going to ask you, but I'm going to send you an email, is I want to see if there's what other Ford engineers, stylists are still around, because I'd like to have a few of them come on and talk a little bit about some of the design size. Unfortunately, the gentleman designed the Mustang's not here, yeah. but maybe somebody else. And the same thing with the 67 Shelby. But, you know, um, I'd definitely like to see, get with you on that and see yeah. if we can get some people on, some Ford engineers and stylists. That would I would really look forward to that. Well, thank you for having me, and uh, we'll talk about those engineers. You and maybe we can round up a few that's uh, still around. Absolutely, I look forward to it. Mo. You take care, and uh, thank, thank you. you, thank you very much again. Bye. Take care. Hey, I want to thank my special guest, Mo's Nolan. I, you know, I, I know it's, I'm partial to Fords, but oh well. But we're going to get some GM guys and some Chrysler guys on in the latter part of the year. We'll, we'll do a little mix-up here. But in the meantime, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgia Getting Cars. Don't forget, every Tuesday night here on the Tan Talk Radio Network for the most fascinating legendary names in motorsports and music. And uh, tell your friends, follow us on social media. In the meantime, everybody, hey, oh, you want to see some of the car shows. Stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. WTAN, Clearwater, FM 106.1, WDCF, Dade City, FM 102.3, WZHR, Zephyr Hills, FM 104.3. Listen.